Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. For three years, these disciples walked beside him for three years, day in, day out, lived with him for three years. He became their everything. It's the thing when you meet somebody and you know that you've met somebody who like this, they will leave an impact on my life. They're going to leave an impact on my life, except this was daily. It's not like, oh, as soon as I saw her, I fell in love with her, and I knew it was going to be awesome for at least a year. Not like that. This was like every day something new, and they picked up on these patterns of who Jesus was. And here's one of the things that they noticed, that when they came, when Jesus came in contact with the preachers and the teachers of the law, all the, the higher level religious people People tended to fear them, revere them, but, but fear them and kind of shrink back. Jesus didn't. Jesus questioned them. That was interesting. You weren't supposed to touch sick people. Jesus constantly touched sick people. You weren't supposed to spend time with spiritual criminals like tax collectors and harlots. Jesus did. He ate dinner with them. Often. See, what was crazy was that other leaders had kind of sprouted up and they wanted to have a political movement, overthrow the government, revolt for just revolting sake. They wanted to gain this mass following. Jesus, he would disappear when the crowds would show up. You can't get elected that way, they would say to Jesus. You don't get elected by running away when people show up. Jesus said, I had to go pray. He was so different then he started getting convicted accused of these crimes he gets handed over to into the legal system tried in a circus court that couldn't even find anything to convict him on they wash their hands of it and say look if you're mad at this guy and there's some other weird agenda you need to handle that yourself but we're out of this deal which is weak by the way Passivity is always, is always weak. And they just wash their hands of it and back up. The local government jumps at the opportunity to take Jesus, who has cornered them and squared them off and teed them up every single opportunity that he got. And then they watch their friend, who they've been spending three years with, stand in the middle of a group of people Roman soldiers surround him, him get punched in the face, him get screamed at, him get beat with a whip, and then like some sort of eighth grade biology class, he's held down onto a crossbeam and he's pinned to this, this splintered piece of wood and then hoisted into the air and suffers to get every single breath so that he can breathe for just one more second and then eventually dies. While the torture of that is terrible and far worse than anything that we are going to ever see or even that the disciples saw, but can you imagine watching that happen to your friend? How debilitating that would become to you? How do you move forward with your life? 
Like, how do you wake up in the morning and say, you know, I ought to do something fun for me. Really? How do you do that? Completely debilitating. Jesus had swarms of people around him all the time. But he had, you know, his clique. He had his crew, his 12. And then there were some other ones that kind of surrounded that, and there was other ones outside that, and there was other ones outside that. But the inner circle, his disciples, see, they loved him for a different reason. To be chosen to be a disciple, that was, that's big time. These guys, they'd been passed over already. They had decided their lot in life was, I'm obviously going to be fishing with my dad for the next 50 years. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and says, I think you'd make a good disciple. Are you serious? You think I'd make a future rabbi? That's what you think of me? My dad calls me the dumb one. Really? Yeah, come on. And then they lose their leader? Oh, man. Not even to count the fact that there was this fear that if they would do that to him, they come for us next. So they locked themselves away. They just locked themselves away, shut the windows, locked the doors, and just hid, waited. Like, what are we supposed to do now? Nobody knows. We're just here. You know that feeling like when something gets overwhelming and you just kind of feel your blood pressure raise and like you're not sure if you're mad or if you're stressed or if you're weirded out and your mind just gets so just crazy tangled up and, and all you can do is think to yourself like, I should move. You know, like that thought, like, I need to run. Where? It doesn't matter. Just run. That's what I need to do right now. I think that's the feeling. It's this hollow feeling. Like you lost somebody that is just your everything, and you can't move forward. And how do you move forward? And then to make it worse... It's like those days when something happens and then something else happens and then something else happens and you're like, for real? Like, this is, this is how it goes? Like, there's this thing and then this thing and then the next thing. And then you step back, you're like, well, can it get any worse? And that's the question. You're like, you don't ask that question, right? Well, could it get any worse? Oh, now you're an idiot, you know? Because yes, now it is going to get worse. Can it get any worse? There's a rap on the door early in the morning. Here comes these frenzied women banging on the door. The disciples run to it, open the door. What is wrong with you? Are you crazy? We don't want people to know we're in here. What is wrong with you? They're like, we just came from the cemetery. And you're not going to believe what we saw. Okay, what did you see? So the stone was moved. Okay. Wait, what? The stone was moved? Yeah. And Jesus isn't in there. Can it get any worse? Yeah, and, it, and it's weird because then there was these other two shiny guys in there. And they were like, who are you looking for? Oh, we're looking for Jesus. <coughs> That's weird. This is where dead people hang out. I don't know what they meant. Why do you look for the living among the dead? I don't, I don't know what that means. And they're panicky. And it says, in, in Luke 24, it says, and they couldn't believe the women. Like they couldn't. Frenzied nonsense. 
Like, you can't make heads or tails of this. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to pick on women, but you know, when, when dudes get mad, there's a certain kind of mad, you know? Like, dudes are pace, like, I will bust that fool. I will bust that fool. You know, like, dudes do that. Women have a different thing, right? You know, it's not even words, really, you know? It's just noises and sounds, and, and, it, and it gets the point across. I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm just, I've seen it plenty of times in my, in my own kitchen. And it does. It does get the point across. But it's different. And here they are saying but not saying everything. And they're like, what are you saying? He's not there. There's stones away. There's shiny guys. I don't know. Simon Peter jumps up and runs to the tomb as fast as he can. He comes back, reports the same thing. Uh, the women are right. They're right. Uh, he's, he's not in there either. He's not in there. The, the burial cloths are still laying in there. I don't... Who does that? If you're going to steal a body, you unwrap it and get the, it's all gooey. And like, this is, can you imagine Simon Peter's thought, who, you don't take the cloth, you don't take the burial cloth off, especially if you're stealing the body. It doesn't make any sense. You pick it up, take the whole thing. If for whatever reason you're stealing a body, which I don't understand. And what Peter says is, that right? It's just laying there. The clothes that he was in, laying there. He's gone. I don't know. And it says, and they were all left wondering. Wondering. What's it mean? Now, it's easy for us, right? It's easy for us to look at this and be like, why couldn't they get it? Jesus was saying he was going to go and die and be resurrected. Why can't they understand it? You know, I could probably do the same thing to you. You know, I could probably step into your life and be like, really? Like, that's what you thought was going to happen? Like, I'm just observing from the outside. It's, it's too easy. We have generations of hearing these stories. But if you were in the moment, listen, when's the last time you knew somebody who came back from the dead? Then stop judging them, right? You don't know. How do you say that? Like, these guys should have believed more. Oh, because you would have been awesome too, right? Man. So there's these two disciples that are there. One of them's name's Cleopas. And this right here, all this, the nonsense, the noise, the frenzied women, Peter's testimony about the empty tomb, all this, too much, too much. This is where it starts, as I understand it. In the amygdala, triggers a response to the hypothalamus, hypothalamus to the pituitary gland, pituitary gland to the adrenal gland. Then all of a sudden the adrenal gland is like, oh my gosh, it's firing loose, adrenaline everywhere. The body senses, hey, adrenaline's loose in the system, creates cortisol, and it's like, hey, we need to focus this, shut some of these, these symptoms, systems down so that we can kind of gain control. For what reason? To either put up your dukes or run. Like, that's it. Fight or flight. And they're at this point of like, too much, too much. And they bolt. Two of them. Grabs a friend and they head for the hills. I love it. I love it. Because you know what? There's moments to win. And this is weird. And this is a weird thing that I think only humans do. We get in that place to where things are just so crazy in our head. We think changing the geographical location 
is the answer. Except everywhere you go, hopefully, you take your head with you. Right? So it doesn't make any... I just need to get from this place to this place and it'll all be better. Except for that little spot between your ears, that's going to be the only problem. I just need to forget about it for a while. This is what we say. I just need to forget about it. I just need to not talk about it for a while. And then what do we do? We leave and we're just... I just can't believe that that happened. I don't understand. And all we can do is talk about it. We see the same thing happen to these guys. So these two guys, they leave. They got to get completely away from it. And they're headed for the hills. It says seven miles to a place called Emmaus. Seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. On their way. Verses 15 and 16 says, And while they are talking and discussing this, Jesus himself shows up while they're walking and talking on the road. But they did not recognize him. Time out. Now, I need to break this sermon just for a second because I'm kind of a storyteller and kind of have a a love for storytelling, and I, I'm not one to really critique the Bible, but if you'll give me just a second, I got a problem with these two verses. Let me read them to you. 24. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Okay, here's where I have the issue. If you are telling this story, to a group of people and you're writing this down and readers are going to read this, do you know you do not let the cat out of the bag or in this case the Savior out of the tomb yet, you know? This is not where you say, it was Jesus. Save that for later. Right? This is what makes sense. In storytelling, this is what makes sense. And some mysterious man came up and walked with them and began to talk with him. Oh, a mysterious man. I'm clued in, but you didn't say, it's Jesus. I can't keep a secret. You know? It's not that. Why in the world would you let the cat out of the bag? This is what Ruby Payne, if you know who Ruby Payne is, she calls poverty storytelling. Do you know what poverty storytelling is? You can tell the tax bracket that somebody lands in by how they tell a story. Let me tell you how I grew up telling stories. It goes like this. You're not going to believe the crap day I had. Want to hear about it? Okay, so I woke up this morning, punchline first, right? I need your attention. I need to scoot you into my story. So here's what I'll start. You know what? I saw a boat run into a tree the other day. You're like, what? Okay, so here's what happened. Then you tell the story. Opposed to a different class of storytelling goes like this. So I come out of work the other day, open up these doors. I can't believe what I saw. That's proper storytelling. Luke tells a story like this. It's Jesus. <laughs> I was trying to, not to tell you, but I did, you know. <laughs> and he just tells you. So I'm looking at this, and I got issue with it, and I'm taking issue with it, and I'm like, I'm not one to criticize the Lord or Scripture or even the gospel writer Luke. But it just isn't a good move. I mean, on a literary, from a literary standpoint, it's not a good move. And then I realized something. I'm wrong. Which is not the first time I've realized that, but I'm wrong. I went back and I looked at the Greek, and the original text says this. As they were talking and they were discussing, he came along in they're talking. In. See, there's a loftier goal than good storytelling, I think, that Luke was after. Good storytelling, save the punchline till later, Luke. But the 
theological goal that Luke is trying to reach is this. It seems as if when we get with one another and we talk and we discuss and we argue things about God, there's this really weird thing that happens. In the midst of our communicating and our talking and us sitting there and arguing back and forth, and I say, here's what's going on in my life, and my wife is wrong, and that's her problem. And somebody looks at me and goes, you're an idiot. This is what you need to do. And then I say, here's the problem with my kids. And they go, it's a problem with you. You're the parent. I'm like, Here's the problem with my church. Again, it's your fault, Jared. I'm like, mm. and it all comes back. And when I hear this kind of stuff in that discussion, the Lord shows up in the discussion. It seems like Matthew said something about that too, where two or more gather in my name. Right. It's also interesting that it says in their logos. That's the word for Jesus, you know. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Logos in the story. And so what Luke is saying is this. It's not, you want to hear my bad storytelling? It's this. You want to see the deeper theological goal? It's this. Our Savior cannot stop eavesdropping on your life. What a freaking relief that is. What a wonderful relief that is that in the midst of my darkest moment when I'm just moaning and groaning and kicking stuff and I'm angry, he overhears it and he scoots in because he just cannot mind his own business. Love it. That's the kind of Savior I want to worship who comes near and is like, so what are we talking about? And I'm like, it's a good thing you showed up now because I was about to let him fly, you know? <laughs> And Jesus says to these two men who unsuspectingly have no idea that this is Jesus, excuse me? What are you talking about? Jesus' phrase that he throws back to them is this word, antibalo. And it means this, to balo, to throw. To antibalo is to me throw, and then you throw back. Jesus says, so what are we tossing around here, kids? What are we exchanging? What is this opposition? The word carries this idea of opposition. So one says, it's not right that Jesus did this. He led us to here and here and here and here and here. And then we ended up right here. And the other one's like, but that's not true. We know this was true and this was true. I know, but I can't get it through my head. What am I supposed to do with this Jesus character? And they're just bickering back and forth. One takes a stand and the other one trumps it. And then one takes a stand and the other one trumps it. And Jesus says, heated conversation, boys? What are we discussing? And they turn around and they go, do we, are you new here? Are you just a visitor? in uh, Jerusalem? Do you not know about these things? Jesus, so coy. What things? Jesus of Nazareth, you don't know? You don't know about him? He was a prophet. Mighty in word and in deed before God and men. Powerful. And then local rulers came and picked him up on trumped-up charges, and what do they do? Holy men 
then they crucify him. And then what's even worse than that, they tell this stranger, is it's been three days. That's an interesting line, isn't it? What are they holding on to? And it's been three days. And then to make it worse, if things could get worse, our women showed up. And what do they say? Tomb's empty. And then Peter shows up. And guess what? Tomb's empty. We couldn't do it anymore. We bailed. And Jesus looks at him and he says, You fools. Can you hear the record scratch in the scripture? You fools. Thoughtless is the word. And the next one, dull. How thoughtless and dull of heart you are that you could not understand these things. Did not the Savior say that he would need to, be, he would need to suffer and then be persecuted and then die before he could rise again? And they're kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it says this, Luke writes, that from the book of Moses all the way through the Old Testament, Jesus began to talk about the Savior. You know what I wish? If I could wish for one part of the Bible to be there that is not there, I wish it were this part. This is the part I want. I want the part where Jesus points to himself inside of the Old Testament so that I could see it, but we don't have it, and Luke didn't record it. Mm. But it makes me wonder, did he say, didn't the Savior mentioned something I mean didn't the scripture used to say something about Abraham and how somehow through him there was a seed that was going to come about and then inherit all of Israel wasn't that there don't you think that seed is him did he talk about Isaac Abraham's son did Jesus talk about himself by talking about Abraham's son and say to the people you know it kind of reminds me of Isaac because, you know, he was thrown onto an altar, essentially killed, except God saved him in the last moment, and then everything went forward. That's kind of like that. What about Joseph? Do you remember the story of Joseph? He was sold out by all of his brothers and thrown into a pit. Sound familiar? You know what else sounds familiar? Is that later on they meet him again and they don't recognize him. Oh, oh my gosh, can you see? You know what I love? I love uh, movies and pictures and paintings that have Easter eggs in them. Do you know what I mean? Like a little hidden thing that's in them. And you're like, oh, wow. That's so cool to me. And then I'm thinking, I wonder if Jesus said like, and then Joseph, and they didn't recognize him, and he forgave him. Did he jump from... Did he jump from Joseph and go to Moses and say, you know, Moses' death on the mountain was pretty, in, pretty, pretty interesting in light of the recent events of the Savior? Because, you know, sometimes somebody has to die before the people can get into the promised land. Sounds familiar. Did they go to Isaiah 53 and talk about the suffering servant? Did Jesus talk about the suffering servant and say, see, here he is right here. He was bruised for our transgressions. This one, by his stripes we are healed. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, yet he did not utter a word. Did he talk about that one? Did he talk about Psalm 16, where David writes and he says, 
You will not let your Holy One see decay? Are you kidding me? He's everywhere in the scripture. And these two men are like, oh my goodness. Then something happens that is so cool. And it's an Easter egg. I really believe it's an Easter egg. I believe it is. And as they got to Emmaus, the seven miles just breezed right by, you know? They were completely entertained. They forgot about their pain for a minute. They're in the presence of Jesus, but they don't know they're in the presence of Jesus. Third Emmaus trips over, and they beg him. They stay with us. But Luke writes this line. He was planning on going further. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. Now that is awesome. Do you know why? Because the same thing happened one time out on the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember that? <coughs> Storm came up. It's rocking the boat. All the disciples are inside. Check this out and how, just how weird this is. Jesus comes cruising by on the water with the whole idea of, I'm just going to pass right by. And they had to, uh, I'm pretty sure it's a ghost. And Jesus is like, no, no, not a ghost. Okay, that's even scarier now, you know, because ghosts will go away. You look like you're coming aboard, you know. He acts as if he's going further, and they beg him to stay. You know what I, you know what I hear in that? Is that Jesus will leave you alone if you want him to. He'll leave you alone. You don't have to. You don't have to invite him in. But if you want his presence, you do. You have to invite him in. I mean, he doesn't come in like, you know, LAPD. <clears throat> I'm him or else. It's not that. He comes by, which means that lands on us to be perceptive enough to see it, to recognize it, to notice it, to feel it, to experience it, to reach out, to grab it, to invite it. That's on us. If you don't open up your day, if you don't put a crack in your day for just a second for him to speak to you, you're missing out. You're missing out. Because he'll pass you by. And they beg him to stay. Then it gets even better. They sit down. They begin to take this bread out and begin to break this bread. Now, Jesus has got a pattern when it comes to breaking bread. If you read any of the Talmud, which is a, a Jewish commentary on Scripture, here's what they would say. These are old, old, old writings. They would say Jesus had a certain way that he did things. He, like everybody, has a certain way that they do things. Certain preachers, uh, different people have these, these ways of doing certain ceremonies, different priests. Jesus, as a rabbi, had a different way that he did this thing. Now, I don't know if this is true, but I do see a pattern here. When Jesus breaks bread, he takes the bread. He gives thanks for the bread. He breaks the bread. He passes out the bread. One more time. Takes the bread. Gives thanks for the bread. Breaks the bread. Passes the bread out. Everybody knows. They've spent three years with Jesus. We do this all the time. Every time we get together with Jesus, we know how he does it. He takes the bread. He gives thanks. He breaks the bread. He passes the bread out. It's the way Jesus operates. And they're sitting there, and they're just like, you know what? It's so nice to have a little bit of comfort right now. And so Jesus takes the bread, and he gives thanks for the bread. And all the little antennas are coming up, the hair on the back of their neck, like, this is weird. Breaks the bread, hands them the bread, and they go, 
and look, and he's gone. Ah! Gone! And they look at each other and they say, were not our hearts burning within us? When we were on the road and he was talking, were not our hearts just ignited a flame? Oh my goodness. We have to get back to Jerusalem and tell them what has happened. And so they race back the seven miles to Jerusalem. And when they get there, they rap on the door. And of course, they're now the frantic ones. They're the ones who left because it was all crazy. Now they're showing back up because God will do that to you, right? He will make you the crazy one for complaining about crazy ones. That's what he'll do. And he will do that to you, you know? I can't believe those people. Oh, great. Now I'm them. Ah! It's so terrible. I hate that. And that's what he will do. Parents like that. I can't. I'm, that's me? Oh, good. Great. Perfect. And now he makes them the crazies. And they're pounding on the door like, huh, didn't mean to bail on you, but you're not going to believe this. And they open up the door and Simon Peter's standing there. And Simon Peter goes, I saw him. I saw him. And the, and the time that they were on their way to Emmaus spending time with Jesus, Peter also was able to spend a moment with Jesus. And he revealed himself to Peter. And they opened the door and they're like, Simon saw him. And he's like, well, you're not going to believe this. We just sat down to have bread with him. And you know what he did? He took it. And he gave thanks. And he broke it. He freaking disappeared. It's true. It's true. So how do we live out the resurrection in our life? What am I supposed to do with this bizarre story? How do I take the idea of somebody being dead and then coming back to life? What am I supposed to do with it? Here's the first thing that I'm going to do with it. I'm going to wonder about it. I'm just going to wonder about it. I'm just going to ponder it. I mean, that's what everybody in our story did. They're just going to ponder it. You know what I don't want to do is I don't want to give you a pill and say, swallow this and then believe it and then move forward. And then that's what you need to do. But you need to do this very first thing. I'm, uh, listen, I just saw a whole room full of people inside of Luke chapter 24 who all doubted every single thing they saw and heard and Jesus still showed up. So if you doubt, then you should probably doubt with this hopeful inclination inside of you that's like, I would love to be proved wrong. I would love for you to show up in my life and prove me wrong. I would welcome that kind of thing. I will move my ego out of the way, but I'm just saying, I can't get my carnal head around this idea. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wonder about it. What else am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to talk about it. The Jews used to say that any sort of trip, any sort of meal that you would share with one another that you did not share Torah, that you did not trade scripture, was a wasted meal. They also used to say this, anything that you partake of, whatever it is that you partake of, of the earth, that you take into your body, if you do not first thank God for it, it was useless. Wow. They would say, if you're going to walk down the road, you should probably discuss with one another because that's what the scriptures say. Take these and bind them around your neck, bind them around your head. 
write them on the door frames of your home and talk about them as you walk along the road, then that's what we ought to do. Then we should have these kind of discussions. And you should ask, hey, Jared, do you believe this? I'm like, I don't know. Like it's in the Bible and I believe everything else. This part's kind of crazy to me, but I'm going on faith. I'm also going to hold on to the one thing I do know. He was mighty in word and deed. So what are the benefits of doing that? If I do that, what's going to happen in my life? Well, first thing is this. Me and you are going to build a friendship, a relationship, probably tighter than any other friendship and relationship in the world. Why? Because we're talking about the only thing in the world that matters. The world is made of matter, but the world is also made of things that matter. And one of the things in the world that matters most is the resurrection of Jesus. And discussing that matters most. And if we sit down and we have this conversation and you get to see the puzzlement on my face and I get to see the questions on yours, we're going to build a connection and that's going to be good for us. Because if any of us ever stands up and says, I've got all the answers, follow me, I know the way, I'm not coming with you. <laughs> and if I ever say it, stay home, don't come with me, I've lost it. It's not normal. But we can wander together on the road if you want. What else am I supposed to take away from this? The most important thing that I can take away from it is this. There's these two men who are coming down the road. And as they begin to share and discuss these things, Jesus cannot help himself but to draw near to your pain. Like, an, like a magnet, he just keeps coming near. Like a hound dog, he just sniffs this pain. And here he comes hollering down the road, boo, hollering down the road, looking for you. Why? Because it's just what he is. It's what he does. That's the kind of Savior that we serve because that's how much he loves us. If I would have been Jesus, I would have done it different. I would have came back kicking down doors. Probably would have started with pilot, you know, Herod maybe, maybe the Sadducees and the Pharisees, yeah, who is it, uh, it's me, can we step outside, we need to talk, oh, this is, yeah, but what's he do, he goes to the corners, and he finds those who are lost, and that sounds strangely familiar, doesn't it? Because you're supposed to leave the 99 and go look for the one. And how do I live out the resurrection? By doing the same thing that Jesus has done. We get together and we get filled up and then we go out into the world and we look for the one. And we grab the one and we pull them in and we talk to them and we tell them about that there is hope in their life. And that's our responsibility. That's what he gave us. This is our story. Let's pray and we will get out of here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for everything that you have done for us. We love you. And Lord, even though the weather is dastardly, we appreciate the fact that we have an opportunity to serve you and to discuss your word and all the wonderful things that you have said and done.